It's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. Hello, everybody. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, and this is Monster Mondays, presented to you by Film Seizure. The 1992 Godzilla vs. Mothra film turned out to be a pretty big hit for Toho. And after all, after Godzilla himself, Mothra is most definitely the second most famous monster in the Toho stable. So, it only makes sense that Mothra should get her own film once again, and that's exactly what our movie this week did. It gave Mothra her own franchise and elevated her as a symbol that uh, would eventually rise to the status of Queen of the Monsters as we saw in last year's Godzilla King of the Monsters. This month, I'm planning on uh, spending each episode of Monster Mondays talking about some Japanese movies. No, Godzilla isn't here, but Mothra is. Also, I highly suspect I will be butchering the hell out of some Japanese names, so look forward to that, I guess. These first three weeks, we'll be taking, we'll be taking a look at some recognizable Japanese kaiju or films directly from Toho. But the final week this month, we'll have something a little more different and special. But let's get back to Mothra and the rebirth of her solo adventures. In 1995, Godzilla's 11-year Heisei period came to a close with Godzilla vs. Desatroya, which effectively found Big G dying after a brutal fight with a monster that was created from the original Oxygen Destroyer, which killed the original Godzilla. Now, while he did transfer his life essence to Godzilla Jr., the series was over. The Millennium Era uh, wasn't to begin for another five years or so, and would serve as a complete reboot, wiping out the continuity of the Heisei films, as well as all of the sequels from the Showa era. So Toho wasn't exactly ready to dump monsters overall, though. Mothra was available, and she answered the phone call from the studio. Thus began the rebirth of Mothra tr trilogy in 1996. Now, this new Mothra trilogy would be heavily geared toward family and children entertainment. It mostly focused, like some of the Showa films of the 60s and 70s, on heavy-handed environmental concepts as well as fantasy elements. While exactly how kiddie this series will go doesn't really show up until the second film, this first film is simply designed to be fairly black and white in how it deals with heroes and villains. What I find kind of interesting about the series is the relatively lack of true information about some of the decisions around the production of the trilogy without doing some pretty big deep digging. But this is what can be stated. First, this trilogy does not act as a sequel to Godzilla vs. Mothra, nor does it follow anything from her brief involvement in Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. These are Heisei period films, but they are not in the continuity of the Godzilla series that had just ended. Her history and some of the other elements of her origin and her connection to the tiny fairy characters that she's usually seen with is adjusted a little bit. And I feel like this is to allow Mothra to have her own spotlight and not have a lot of people showing up to the movie expecting Godzilla to suddenly appear. I'm perfectly fine with that. The 1961 Mothra film happened when Godzilla was on a bit of a hiatus, and it didn't leave people thinking Godzilla was going to show up and fight the creature or whatever. Again, I'm perfectly fine with this. Mothra has plenty of marquee appeal herself. The director of the movie, Okahiro Yaneda, only directed three movies. This film, the third Rebirth of Mothra movie, and... 
well, and a, and a TV series that I don't know how to pronounce. Yoneda did work as an assistant director on Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, so he was connected with Toho in the Godzilla series, at least through that film. However, it should also be noted that he was an assistant director for Rhapsody in August, directed by the great Akira Kurosawa. So the guy did some significant stuff. As for the rest of the people involved, it was mostly a new writer, a new producer, and a bunch of behind-the-scenes effects guys who had worked on the Toho Godzilla film. So it's probably best to say that this was a relatively fresh new take on the Toho monsters. Tamayuki Tanaka, the longtime Godzilla producer and co-creator of Big G himself, as well as Mothra, uh, is listed as a producer as well on this. And this would be his final credit and the final film he had any supervision on before his death in 1997 at the age of 86. Now, as for the movie right out of the gate, we see what this movie really wants to focus on. Before anything can even begin, we're seeing Mothra with bits of magical light surrounding her when she's flapping her wings. The look of Mothra looks more like a fluffy stuffed animal too, so she's kind of cute and cuddly. Either way, before the titles, we have our main protagonist and the fantasy element of the magical bits of light. And as the credits continue, we see a logging company slicing through a gorgeous forest in Japan and planning to basically tear down everything from the fully grown trees, even to the saplings. So this is just to make sure you understand that this logging company is bad news and kind of greedy. But they uncover something that has what appears to be a seal on it. Now, I will say that aside from removing the seal, there's little push on the environmental side of things aside from what the primary villain monster does to the Earth as it sucks the life force from the planet to get stronger and stronger. And that's used as an allegory for how humans treat the planet, but they really don't hit you over the head with that until the very, very end. Either way, the moral is still there. Now, as the foreman chips off that seal, uh, two of the tiny girls that we always see with Mothra, and they're called Elias in this movie, E-L-I-A-S, the Elias, uh, they seem to be scared and worried by something going on. A third, a little bit more darker, if I do say so myself, a little sexier, evil Elias gets a little excited about what's going on. So, the good Elias go to see Mothra and uh, she gives them a tiny version of herself called Fairy to fly out of their temple to see what's going on in the outside world and what caused such hubbub. Meanwhile, the guy who took the seal from the logging site, he struggles at home with a wife that doesn't care much for his always working and his two very precocious children. Now, the little boy, Taiki, is a bit of a monster who kind of tortures his little sister Wakaba. However, that eventually shifts a little bit because she gets her revenge on her brother when the evil Elias named Belvira, that's such a great villainous name by the way, Belvira, uh, she takes control of the sister's mind and starts throwing the brother around the house with telekinetic powers. Now, the the twin good Elias, Laura and Maul, realize that Belvira is up to no good and she has some desire to see the three-headed dragon Desgadora get released from his tomb to wreak havoc on the world. 
Now, it's about here that you realize this movie is fascinatingly weird. Belvira is flying around on a tiny dragon, which turns out to be robotic, as we find out later. She mind controls a little girl, uh, which causes the little girl just to sit around the house all day, eat junk food, skip out on school, and Belvira ties up the kid's mom and ends up drinking full cans of beer. Meanwhile, Laura and Maul are flying around on a tiny Mothra and helps the little boy and the tiny Mothra and the tiny dragon have like these little Star Wars-like dogfights between the good sisters and Belvira. And we're watching... So let's break that down here real quick. We're watching a tiny lady on a tiny dragon dodging magical lasers from two other tiny girls riding a tiny moth. I I really kind of love this movie. Now, after a long battle between Belvira and Maul and Laura, Belvira escapes and goes to Hokkaido where she plans to release Desgadora from its prison. This gives the good sisters the opportunity to tell the story of Desgadora, which is a giant dragon monster. It traveled from planet to planet, sucking the life force out of each one it visited. It's why Mars is a barren wasteland. It came to Earth uh, around 65 million years ago, where the Elias ancestors uh, fought it with the help of an army of Mothras. They trapped it with the seal of Elias, which is what was taken from the logging site. So the family has to rush off with the good twins, or the good sisters, to Hokkaido. Now, unfortunately, they are too late as Belvira releases Desgadora and commands it to lay waste to the earth. Laura and Maul go to uh, what apparently looks like a music video to uh, ask Mothra for help. Now, every time that the good Elias sisters go to talk to Mothra or ask her, you know, or ask the the offspring of Mothra to do something or to just simply to converse with it, it turns into this whole music video thing. And it, it's it's fascinating because that's happened before in Godzilla movies, especially the weird ones. And this movie is definitely weird. So it's it's kind of a welcome return to that utter weirdness of the Toho monster movies. Now, uh, when they go to ask Mothra to uh, help defeat Desgadora that's risen again, she agrees. Mothra is like, all right, yeah, I'll get in on that. But the odds are against the old gal. She is the last of the Mothras and weak from giving birth to an egg. But she comes to the aid to take on the dragon anyway. It's kind of a sense of, of you know, her duty to help defeat Desgadora again. Now, Mothra uses the uh, last of her life in this battle, and uh, she gets beaten up, she gets bitten, she gets thrown around, which causes her egg to hatch prematurely to reveal what is listed as a son named Mothra Leo, but we'll talk a little bit more about that before the end of this episode. So Mothra Leo comes to the aid of his mother, but is also kind of beaten up because he's only a little larva. And uh, Mothra has to use the last of her life force to save her son by you know, flying him off to a secret location so that he can cocoon himself and become a full-on Mothra, who happens to be faster and stronger than his mother. Now, Desgadora starts really messing up the earth. Everywhere he goes, he's just destroying cities, destroying 
you know, like whole forest to kind of suck the life force out of it. But Leo faces off with the dragon monster one more time and defeats it uh, by just kind of overpowering it and resealing it back into the earth. Uh, Leo then returns to the Elias ancestral home to take his place on his mother's perch while Belvira escapes by uh, going into a hole in a tree. I'm not making this up. She just runs off, goes into a tree, and swears to her sisters that humans cannot be trusted. So let's get to the three things I like about Rebirth of Mothra. First up, as I said previously, I really love this movie for how bizarre it is. This feels a little like uh, an 80s American movie, like The Goonies. There's a family element, but the family is a bit dysfunctional. The children in the family are the central figures, and it uh, they play heavily in the battle between these sisters. So that brings with it this kind of kids in peril adventure element that was so prevalent in the 80s. And the music also matches this kind of movie too. It almost makes you think that Steven Spielberg had to be involved with this somehow. And it's really not a surprise that this movie was able to gather all of those elements and become quite successful after a lot of the darkness that the Heisei Godzilla films had. Second, the special effects in this movie is shockingly 90s. And what I mean by that is that it's kind of fakey, but it's trying its balls off to look as good as possible. And you can tell that the elements don't quite match, but for the time period and the family feel of the movie itself and kind of the mystical elements, it's also kind of perfect. Uh, It's safe to say that despite the shortcomings of the fakey as all get out effects, it's loaded with charm. You, you need go no further than how Haki, Aki Hano, the actress playing Belvira, acts as the villainess. I mean, she cackles, she acts with her entire being, and it's just how you do bad guys in family entertainment. It's, it, it gives you this idea that there's no chance for redemption, there's no apparent heart that's ever existed in this character. It's just evil to the bone and charming as hell. Now, Mothra and Desgadora are pretty awesome, so for my third like, I want to kind of talk about them a little bit. So, I like that we get a whole lot of Mothra in the forms of the tiny version named Fairy. Mothra doesn't really join the movie until about halfway through after Desgadora is released. However, because of the smaller Mothra and the little dragon that Belvira rides around on, there's no shortage of creatures in this movie. Many of the previous Toho Kaiju monsters movies would kind of separate the monster action from the human story but using the tinier creatures up the effects needed but was able to meld those two elements the monsters and the humans a little bit better but like i said mothra is fluffier and cuddlier in this film she looks friendlier to the younger audience meanwhile for the boys watching the movie desgadora is basically a four-legged king Ghidorah. It has the three monster dragon heads and can fly. The only real difference is that it has the extra set of legs. So what we have is a good, cute, and lovable hero fighting against the scary and seemingly larger and more powerful bad guy. So I appreciate the contrasting styles of kaiju and, you know, it really does heighten Mothra's place in the pecking order of monsters. But let's get back to that gender topic there. I said that most everything refers to the new Mothra that's re- that's born in this movie as Leo Mothra, a son. I find it kind of interesting that Mothra, mostly known among fans as being a female character, 
gives way to that Leo Mothra, a supposed male character for the entire trilogy. The very nature of Mothra's look and usual actions seem to indicate that it's a monster mostly for girls to gravitate towards, and certainly gives off that idea of being something more like Mother Nature. Some of the themes and general happenings of this movie would seem to be more geared towards girls too, so it's interesting that we end up with what is said to be male. But, <laughs> with that said, at the very end of this movie, the Elias sisters say that this Mothra received her powers from the Earth when she emerged from her cocoon. So, who knows? I mean, most everything says Leo Mothra is male, but the English translation of this film refers to him as a she. So, I'm not really sure what's going on there. Maybe Leo is gender fluid. If so, congrats for being mighty progressive all the way back in the mid-90s. So that wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. Don't forget to check out new episodes of Film Seizure every Wednesday and a new installment of Monster Mondays each Monday on FilmSeizure.com. As well, you can find those various things that we do here in uh, places where fine podcasts are found, like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. Additionally, hop on over to Facebook and Twitter to follow us by just searching for Film Seizure. And you can also check out new posts at my website, bmovieenema.com, each and every Friday. So, until next week, stay spooky.